Episode 74, The College Funding Coach. Hey Chainers, welcome to another edition of Chain of Wealth. I'm your host, Dennis O'Brien. And I'm Katie Walsh. All right, Katie. So today's guest is for anyone that has student loan debt. Oh. (laughs) Well, not necessarily student loan debt, but anyone that's considering going to college or knows someone that's going to college. So basically anyone out there. Yeah, basically. Everybody (laughs) knows somebody who's going to college, in college, or suffering from student loans. Yeah. So our guest today basically helps people plan for that. And I think, like, given the recent economic times in America with colleges being so expensive, it's become something that you really need to plan for, you know? It's almost like purchasing a house. It's worse than purchasing a house because at least the house you get to eventually sell and hopefully make (laughs) money off of. Well, like you could also argue that a college education gives you the tools, tips, and techniques you need to make a lot of money in corporate or wherever you're going. I guess you do have a point there. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think about it that way. Um, but yeah, it is definitely something that needs to be planned out. That if you or your child, if you're planning on sending your child to college, you need to have a plan. Like basically you start thinking about having kids and then you need to start working on that. Yeah, you got to have some kind of a plan. Otherwise, they're going to get stuck in massive debt by the time they're ready to become young adults. Yeah, and I don't think that back 20-ish years ago when like we were, well, I was starting college. I don't think that planning for college was even really a thing. No. Because if it was, I don't think so many people would have student loans. Yeah, but today it's definitely a massive factor. And bringing up a child, really. Yeah. Well, and we've also talked to other people who say that, you know, sometimes parents are maxed out with their loans and then grandparents are having to pay for it. And Mm -hmm. it's just start early. (laughs) You definitely have to. (laughs) All right. You ready to dive right in? Yeah. Awesome. Let's do it. Welcome to Chain of Wealth. Here's your host, Dennis, inspiring you to begin your journey of financial freedom. Hey Chainers, welcome to another edition of Chain of Wealth. Today we have Brock Jolly with us. Brock is known as the college funding coach. For millennials who are starting to have kids, the thought of paying for college is super stressful. After the financial turndown, suddenly everyone started asking Brock how to invest in their child's education. He realized that a lot of people simply didn't know what they were doing when it came to paying for college and preparing for it. Flash forward, the college funding coach has helped thousands of people pay for college without going into debt. Welcome, Brock. Oh, thanks, Dennis. Appreciate being here. Awesome having you. So let's chat a bit about paying for college. What's one of the worst mistakes you've seen people make when preparing for the next couple of years of their life or preparing for their kids' futures? Well, I think, Dennis, the probably the biggest mistake is waiting too long. The thing I see all the time, and this is <clears throat> probably especially true with with the millennial generation where, you know, you, you get into that first job and some wise old soul probably recommends to you, you know, you, you'll take you, you should take my advice and you'll thank me later. You should put a lot of money into your 401k. And while that's probably very good advice, retirement hopefully is a long, long, long way off. And the challenge is that what we see happen all the time is that 
we see families and individuals who are saving for retirement and then inevitably they go and they buy the house in the suburbs and they have children and they buy the Honda Odyssey and all these sort of things. And then it's not until maybe junior or senior year of the child's high school that the family really starts to realize, oh boy, college is very expensive and how are we possibly going to pay for it and still retire one day? And I think the key on all of this, the thing I stress frequently is to start saving as soon as possible. And, you know, maybe when you start thinking about kids, even if you're just putting aside 50 or a hundred bucks a month, doing something and doing it consistently is super important. And, you know, over time, those little bits of money add up. And, and also over time, you can maybe increase it from a hundred dollars a month to $200 a month, and then from 200 to $500 a month. And again, over time, those little bits add up. It doesn't necessarily need to be in a college fund, but just having those savings that maybe later on as they're accumulated, maybe could be earmarked more towards college is vitally important. And just, you know, real quickly, as I'm answering this, I'm thinking, you know, we've been teaching our class since 2002. Uh, The class is called Little Known Secrets of Paying for College. And when we first started teaching that class, it was primarily parents of high school, juniors and seniors. And the way that I could tell is I, I always said they were sort of deer in headlights. And the advice we always received was, you ought to go teach this information to the elementary schools. And, you know, I wish I had known this information when my kids were really little. And so we did that. And we started teaching more at the elementary schools. And the feedback that we got from those parents was great information. But, you know, Brock, I've got a, I've got a fourth grader. I've got plenty of time. My answer was always go talk to your neighbor who's got the junior or senior and ask them if you've got plenty of time. Because the reality is that anybody who's got children will tell you time flies by. It moves very, very quickly. My my four-year-old son just graduated from kindergarten, sorry, from preschool today. He's going off to kindergarten. And so that was a big, you know, monumental day in in our life. But I tell you, it flew by and, you know, he's going to be in college before we know it. So start early. That's one thing that definitely is constant and that's time passing. (laughs) Absolutely. So like, I know that a lot of people, you know, like it's sort of like you said, they, they don't really plan in advance and, you know, come that senior year of high school, all of a sudden they're trying to figure out college and sort of in today's age, I know a lot of parents sort of were hit quite badly with the financial crisis, you know, so they may have been struggling a little bit with their homes and, you know, hopefully by now they've recovered a little bit. But a situation that a lot of people seem to be facing is the kids obviously don't have money. The parents are not that flush with cash. And I've heard a lot of stories of grandparents actually starting to subsidize college tuition. Isn't that shocking that it's literally because of not, well, because of not planning as well, it can start impacting, you know, like two generations away. No question. And, and you know, the, we'll take the parents in that example. I, I'm working with a number of families. In fact, I'm meeting with a family tomorrow morning who the mother still has about $40,000 of student loan debt in her own name. And her daughter just graduated from high school this past weekend. And so talk about the sandwich generation. I mean, you know, she's, she's, trying to figure out how to retire 
She's taking care of her mother. She's got a daughter who's getting ready to go off to college. How do you juggle it all? And, and to your first point, we do see a lot of families where the grandparents are helping to pay for college. But one of the things I always stress to these families is make sure you understand the ins and outs of financial aid before going down that path. Because one of the big pitfalls that can exist is if grandparents try to help pay for college, because that can then count as income to the child. And if a child has significant income in their name, the, the child's income can actually count at a rate of 50%. And so in many cases, you have some very well-intentioned grandparents who actually jeopardize the child's ability to qualify for need-based aid by the way that they fund it. And so there are just very specific ways to try to figure this out that, again, I think maybe a lot of your audience might not have juniors and seniors in high school, but the more you can start to plan and think about it now and develop strategies. You know, one of the, one of the popular tools for college funding is what is called a Section 529 plan. And the thing I always explain to families is a 529 plan is a wonderful tool, but it's not necessarily a strategy. Just ask any parent who sent a child to college in 2008 and 2009 who may have lost 30 or 40% of the value inside of their 529 plans. So what we always really stress to families is you've got to create a strategy around it. You've got to figure out ways to make your money work efficiently, effectively, so that when it's time for your kids to go off to college, the college doesn't care if the money's in a brokerage account or a 529 plan or cash in the bank or whatever it is. They just care that they get paid. And so figuring out strategies around how to make that happen are what our business is all about. So I know you said start saving as soon as possible, but let's be realistic. When is an actual age that you should start planning for your child's college? Is it sort of the day they're born? Is it sort of when they start school? When would you sort of suggest that people should start? Well, I would use the analogy, Dennis. It's, it's sort of like, and, and this is true probably of any planning, not just college funding planning, but that is use the analogy of an airplane. And what I mean by that is if you think of an airplane taking off, I, I live in the Washington, D.C. area. So if an airplane takes off from Washington, Dulles International Airport and is headed towards Los Angeles, the second that airplane leaves the runway, it's off track. And it's the pilot's job to adjust for wind and weather and the jet stream and all these different factors so that that airplane lands at the right airport on the right one runway at approximately the right time. And it's the same thing with college funding. And so that's why, you know, I said early, you know, the key is saving money. It doesn't necessarily have to be earmarked as a college fund right away. It doesn't need to be earmarked as a college fund until your child's, you know, going off to school necessarily. But the key is to have different buckets of money from which you can draw. And as your child gets closer and closer to embarking off on their college journey, you're going to make adjustments just like that pilot. And what I mean by that is, you know, look, my, my four-year-old is a total knucklehead. I'm not, I'm not quite sure he's going to go to college anywhere. But as he matures and maybe grows up a little bit and hopefully gets good grades in school and all of that, my wife and I will hopefully have a better idea of where he may end up in college, what he might study in school. And by 
process of elimination by more clearly defining and eliminating some of those variables, we can have a better idea of what the cost is going to be. Because right now, you know, with college presumably 14 years off, I couldn't begin to tell you what the cost of college is going to be, let alone where he'll end up in school, what he'll study, whether he'll need to go get a master's degree. But it's certainly our intention to be able to pay for a decent chunk of his education. And so we're sort of saving for an unknown. And I think that's oftentimes also what makes it so difficult for families to save is, is just the fact that, you know, we don't, we don't really know what the cost is going to be. And so, you know, just rather than putting your head in the sand and hoping it all works out, I think the key is doing something. And again, little bits over time can add up pretty significantly. I think a lot of people do adopt that strategy of just put your head in the sand and pretend that it doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it, it feels good, right? Until, uh, until you got to get up and do something about it. Yep. <laughs> and then it can be very, very painful. That's very true. So let's chat a little bit about students. So say, for example, a parent listening to the podcast or perhaps their child, what advice would you have for a student that's sort of getting ready for the college application process? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think we work with a lot of educational consultants who really uh, work with families to develop a strategy around this. And so what I'll tell you is it's not my area of expertise, but in having done this for uh, the better part of two decades, I can tell you that uh, we've picked up some tricks of the trade. And what I would tell you is first and foremost, cast a broad net. And what I mean by that is so many families start by simply looking at the sticker price. And what I would tell you, the significantly more important criteria is finding a school that is the right fit for your child and your family. We hear families all the time that say, my, my child can go to any school they want as long as it's an in-state public school. And Admittedly, while in-state public schools are significantly less expensive in most cases, uh, they may not be the right fit. We see families all the time that send their kids off to the in-state public colleges only to find their son or daughter coming back home six months or a year later, oftentimes without a whole lot to show for it. And so I think cast a broad net early on, figure out what the factors are, what the criteria are that are really important to you and your family about a college or university. Do you want something that's close to home or far away from home? What size school do you want? And this, Dennis, this can be as simple as an Excel spreadsheet. And what I mean by that is figure out the criteria that you're considering, list those down the left-hand column. And sorry, left yeah, the, the far left-hand column. And then across the top, list the schools that you're considering. And then just fill in the blanks. And the idea there is trying to identify schools that meet or do not meet specific criteria that are really important to you. In other words, maybe you want a school that is in a metropolitan area. Maybe you want a school that is in a more of a rural area. Maybe you want a school that's got Division I athletics or that's got a really uh, strong Greek system or that has a particular club sport or that has a religious affiliation. I mean, so many different factors that come into play. And this is such an awesome opportunity for kids as, again, as they're embarking off onto their college adventure 
And it's a big decision point. And it's sort of like our example earlier with people put their head in the sand and hope it all works out. So often people do the same thing with the college decision. Kids have an awesome opportunity in front of them. It's also a lot of responsibility, but trying to figure out what school will be the right fit, I think is critically important. And then I would tell you know, the obvious things of, you know, get good grades and get involved in a number of activities and find those passions that are really important to you. I would also tell you a couple of big things. Number one, start writing your essays early. And a lot of times the response is, well, Brock, I don't even know what the essay question is. But a lot of times, number one, you could look at, you know, if you've got friends who are maybe a year or two ahead of you, look at those questions and take the time maybe over the summer before your senior year to answer those questions. Because what I can almost certainly guarantee you is those same questions will appear or some derivation of those questions that's very, very similar will appear as well. And the more time you take to write and refine those essays, because oftentimes you can answer, I would tell you all of the questions that you may get asked in a college admissions application, you, you can probably answer every single one of them with about three or four different essays, simply manipulated in terms of the length or the answering of a specific question. It can be tweaked a little bit to meet within their parameters. And then the last thing I would tell you is start looking for money early. You mentioned grandparent money. I, I call the, the broad spectrum of, I call it OPM, other people's money, which means <laughs> scholarships, grants, grandparent money, corporations, whatever it may be. But so often we see families where they wait until the child's second semester of the senior year to apply for college scholarships. Right, child gets accepted at a great school, and mom and dad sort of have a momentary uh, stoppage of the heart, and they say, "Well, my child got into this great school, but how in the world are we going to pay for it?" You know what? You should go apply for scholarships. Well, by that point, the child has applied for myriad colleges. They've been accepted at a number of them. Senioritis has set in very uh, heavily. And the last thing these kids want to do is go and apply for college scholarships. And so, again, oftentimes it sort of gets put on the back burner until it's too late. A, a, a strategy that we've seen work a number of times, and if, if your listeners go to our uh, Facebook page, what they'll see is a number of uh, messages from students that we've worked with over the years telling us about their scholarships that they've received. Here's a great strategy, Dennis, and that is for kids who are maybe a little bit younger, like uh, sophomores and juniors, start applying for scholarships. There are lots of scholarships out there that are available prior to the senior year. Not all of them, so you got to make sure, but figure out a game plan. And maybe even the game plan is looking a year ahead of time, finding those scholarships that you want to apply for, knowing what those deadlines are. Now, here's the catch. Mom and dad, what I would tell you is make it a game for your kids. Because kids want to have spending money. They want to have that empowerment that comes along with having their own money. So tell your kids for every dollar that they earn in college scholarships, you'll give them a quarter. The first time we did this, we had a student from Arlington, Virginia, and she won about $15,000 in college scholarships. Now, mom and dad were on the hook. They had to write her a check, <laughs> but they gladly wrote her that check for $3,750 because what that meant is that she just saved $11,250 on the cost of admission, if that makes sense. Yep. And that's huge. And so, 
And, and, and I'll tell you too, just taking that one step further, roughly $9,000 of those college scholarships were renewable, meaning she got to get more money from mom and dad the following year as well. So what sort of grades would you say that you need to start looking for scholarships? Are they only available to straight A students? Not at all. Uh, there, it's a great question, but uh, and a lot of them are, to be fair. A lot of them are for the top end students, your, your national merit semifinalists and finalists and that sort of thing. But there are loads of scholarships out there that are available to what I'll call uh, less than stellar students. Now, I'm not at all suggesting that that's where your listeners should set the bar, but if those are the cards that they've been dealt, you, you want to you work with it and you know, figure out, are there particular passions? We've got a student right now who's studying Irish dance in Dublin, and he's got a full-ride scholarship, everything except for uh, room and board, but everything else is covered. So he's going to the University of Dublin for about half of the cost of an in-state public school. Uh, another one that I always use as an example, I grew up in Indiana. And in Indiana, there's a school called Ball State University. The fam most famous graduate of Ball State University is David Letterman. And at Ball State University is something called the Letterman Family Communications Scholarship. And just to paraphrase a little bit, the, that scholarship, there are two scholarships given for each grade level. So eight total scholarships, and it's a full ride scholarship to a communications student who is determined to be the most average student. Now, again, I'm not suggesting that that's where you should set the bar, but the way David Letterman looked at it is he says, look, I was passionate about humor and communications. And he managed to scratch out a pretty good living. And so made a decent amount of money, and he decided that he would endow these scholarships to allow students who were like-minded and maybe weren't the sharpest students in their classes, but had that passion, that burning passion for communications, uh, television, humor, that type of thing. And so, you know, again, not where you need to set the bar necessarily, but if that's the thing's about which you're passionate, find the opportunities. Still pretty eye-opening though. I mean, knowing that those sort of opportunities are available for people if they aren't necessarily in a position where they are getting straight A's, that, that definitely is super helpful. Dennis, so I saw a scholarship a couple of years ago for a left-handed trombone player. <laughs> I mean, you know, so, so maybe some of your listeners will start uh, playing the trombone left-handed, but, uh, you know, just interesting things to think about. Yeah, definitely. So I know we've been talking a lot about scholarships. Do you have any other unknown hints that could help people out? Lots of them. But what I'll tell you is everything is always customized. And so what I mean by that is everybody wants to know kind of what I'll call the silver bullet. And, and the challenge is there's just so many variables in the equation. You know, how much time do you have? How many, uh, how many kids is the family going to educate? Uh, where are they going to go to school? What's the cost of education going to be? And so we really try to sit down with a family and customize a solution that will work for them. So we do, we do about 400 of these workshops around the country every single year. Wow, fantastic. And our goal is to go into, I mean, we do a lot of them at schools, but also churches, synagogues, uh, community organizations, businesses, you name it, anywhere where there's a group of parents 
we'll go and do our workshop. But then we sit down individually with those families to figure out, you know, kind of bringing it from a 30,000 foot overview a little bit closer to ground level. And figuring out those strategies, again, based on their risk tolerance, their time horizon, et cetera, that are going to make the most sense. And so we call it little known secrets of paying for college. But the reality is that there are probably hundreds, if not thousands of little tiny strategies that are going to help these families. And so it's, you know, everything from a tax reduction strategy to lowering your expenses and, you know, in essence, finding the money, finding the resources and figuring out ways that you can be more efficient or more effective with your money. And then, look, at the end of the day, I don't care what you do with the money. Obviously, if college funding is a primary goal, we're going to put it towards college funding strategies. If you'd rather put it towards retirement, if you'd rather put it towards family vacation, it doesn't really matter too much. Our goal is to help you figure out strategies for finding the money and then being able to again, save and pay for college in the most efficient, most effective way possible. So let's chat a little bit more about your services. Like what is the sort of structure for people that are interested? Is it like a, a course that you have to go somewhere? Is it done over the internet? No, thanks for asking. So what people can do is they can visit our website, which is just the college funding coach. Dot org. So it's a mouthful. So don't forget the, the the at the beginning and it's a dot org website. So the college funding coach.org and you can find workshops in your area. Again, we've got most of the country covered, but certainly not all. There's some pockets out there, uh, certainly in some more rural areas and things like that where we don't have advisors currently. Uh, but then generally what people do is they'll come to one of our workshops and then they'll sit down with one of our advisors for a free consultation. Now, we've also, we do webinars quite frequently. So if somebody is somewhere that isn't serviced by an advisor or a team of advisors, they could tune in on one of our webinars. Lots of different ways that we've uh, developed to be able to provide this content. And again, the whole idea of the workshop is really providing lots and lots of value. I say, you know, you can come to our workshop and in many cases, families can take that information and run with it. They can implement it. The reality is that for many families, they're too busy. And what I mean by that is they, they, don't have, they don't have the time. They might not have the interest. They might not have the expertise to do it themselves. And that's when people engage with us. And as a general rule, what happens is they'd sit down with us on an individual basis. We, you know, sort of like going to the doctor at a certain level. You know, if you went to the doctor and explained that, you know, maybe you've got some stomach pain. Well, it could be a lot of things. It could be, uh, could be cancer, could be Crohn's disease, or it could be something as simple as uh, indigestion. And so we want to figure out with these families, where are they today? How'd they get to where they are? What's important to them about money? And how do you develop good, solid strategies, again, for paying for college, but also retiring and that sort of thing? And so what our advisors do is it's a totally free consultation. They'll sit down with the families and then from there, develop a plan. And depending on what the right strategy is for that family, they'll work with them to develop those strategies. It could be that somebody needs a, a fee-based financial plan where they would pay a fee to put together a, a comprehensive financial planning strategy. For some other families, they don't need that complexity. And it would just, I call it blocking and tackling. They need some simple strategies. And, and I would tell you too, especially for younger families, I think that's the case where you know, they, they may sit down with an advisor 
And just very simply, they might start putting some money into a 529 plan or a brokerage account. You know, maybe if they've got young kids, maybe they need to set up uh, life insurance policies, just things like that. And I always say, you got to do comprehensive planning. You can't plan in a vacuum because having a plan that solely focuses on what I call money supply and doesn't focus on some of the risk management components isn't a real good or certainly not comprehensive financial planning strategy. And so that's what our advisors do is they, you know, oftentimes are pointing out to families some of the potential gaps in their current planning. But again, that, that initial consultation is totally free. They'll work with the families to try to understand where they are today, what some of those gaps may be, and what some of the opportunities are moving forward. It sounds like uh, very often you become a jack of all trades, sort of dealing with families and their finances. <laughs> well, and, and I, I tell you too, Dennis, because college is so expensive, you really can't plan in a vacuum. I mean, when when we talk about in-state public schools, you know, most in-state public schools today are between $25,000 and $30,000 a year. And by the way, the average student takes over five and a half years to graduate. And oh, by the way, many families have more than one child. So add that all up. Let's say say it's $30,000 a year and your child graduates in five years. That's $150,000 per child. And by the way, they may increase the cost during those four or five years that your child's in school. And, you know, if you've got two or three kids, obviously that adds up pretty significantly over time. We we oftentimes hear people say, well, your house is your biggest purchase that you'll ever make in your life. But there's two caveats to that. Number one is you probably have 30 years or more to pay off that house and number two is, in a lot of cases, families never pay off the house, right? They, they live in this house for five, six, seven years. Then they move up a little bit and they move into this house. Now you got 30 years to pay for that one. And so the reality is your house may be the single biggest purchase, but it's not necessarily your biggest expense, if that makes sense. And so we really try to help families focus on it. Uh, one of the things I'll tell you is we try our best I mean, these are scary numbers. They're a little daunting. We try not to uh, scare families, but just give them a dose of reality that, you know, it is very, very expensive and we need to figure out the comprehensive strategies to make it work. Why do you think it is that the cost of education has been increasing faster just generally than the general inflation? Wow. I mean, that, Dennis, that could be a whole different podcast. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great question. You know, it's interesting because, the College Board does a, uh, a great study called Trends in College Pricing. And you can look at it. I mean, if, if, you, if your listeners really want to nerd out on this, just go to the College Board's web, website and look for Trends in College Pricing and then put in the, the year. Uh, it, it's fascinating because you're exactly right. You know, if you, any economic study, they may compare next to, say, a, a gallon of gasoline or a loaf of bread or something like that. The cost of college has gone up exponentially more than anything else over the last 10, 20, and 30-year period. And I think it ultimately comes down to supply and demand. The colleges realize how critically important higher education is, and they've got that secret sauce. Now, what I'll tell you is, in my opinion, things are evolving a little bit. You know, we're using technology more. Uh, I don't 
I don't have to be in Cambridge, Massachusetts to learn from a Harvard professor. The problem, the catch-22 in that equation is, I'll just use Harvard as the example, Harvard's got lots of dorms and academic buildings and athletic buildings and other things that they need to fill, they need to heat, they need to provide electricity to. And so they don't want to remove the live element that is historically the way we've thought about college. So things are evolving. Technology, in theory, causes things to be less expensive. But the problem with it is colleges need that overhead to be provided. And and I think there's something to be said for that college experience, right? Living congenially in a a college dorm with another human being and just (laughs) learning to live in close quarters with one another. That's how relationships get built. That's how you learn to uh, collaborate with other people and live alongside others in the workplace and just in life. And I, I think it is critically important but we'll see how things evolve. I, I don't have a real good answer other than to say, you know, the colleges need those bodies there to, uh, to cover their fixed expenses, their overhead. And so I don't see it evolving anytime too quickly, but I, you know, I hesitate to say it, but I've got to imagine at some point there's a, there's a bubble of some sort, but the same thing has been true, been said about the housing market and the stock market and the oil market and everything else. And yet over time, what happens? Those prices keep going up and up and up and up. So we'll see. Definitely interesting times to come. <laughs> Chainers, we're just going to take a quick break and then we'll dive right back into the value link round. Chainers, very special pitch today for the value link round. Chain of Wealth is trying to grow, so don't forget to tell everyone you know about Chain of Wealth. We definitely need all the subscribers we can get, and we love having our voice in your earlobes. I don't know why Katie's looking at me funny right now. Well, you're, we're definitely not in their earlobe. We are. They listen no, to this us. No, this is an earlobe right here. All right. So what? Our ear in the ear drums? Hole? I don't know. I don't know. In your ears. Anyway, <laughs> listen to Chain of Wealth, and please tell a friend. It helps us grow. So, Brock, why do you think people struggle to achieve their dreams? Oh, wow, that's a great question. So why do people struggle to achieve their dreams? I I think oftentimes they don't take the time to think about their dreams. You know, there's there's a number of different answers. I I actually have studied this stuff quite a bit. Uh, You know, it's interesting. The average human being, first of all, most most people don't write down their dreams or their goals. Right. And, And there are loads of studies that have been done that talk about how important it is and how much the likelihood of achieving your dreams goes up if you do one very simple thing, and that is write it down. Write down your dreams, write down your goals, share it with people who are close to you, who can hold you accountable, and then take the next step, which is to take action on your dreams. Um, You know, it's interesting. I, I read a statistic once that said, the average person who writes down their goals, so they've taken the first step, they've written them down, but the average person who writes down their goals takes 0.7 attempts to accomplish those goals. So Dennis, what that means is that most people don't even take the first step towards accomplishing their goals. What I would also tell you is I think for a lot of families, or sorry, a lot of individuals, they set goals that are either way too big or way too small. 
And I'll give you an example. I, I, I study John Wooden quite a bit. I work with a coach who had the opportunity to work very closely with John Wooden. And, you know, he was a legendary basketball coach at UCLA. And when he graduated, I believe from the middle, from middle school, his father, Joshua, gave him uh, a $2 bill and a list. And the list was things you should do every day. And one of the items on that list was drink from good books, especially the Bible. And Lee Brower, who's one of my coaches, asked him, he said, Mr. Wooden, Coach Wooden, do you think you've really read from the Bible every single day since you graduated from middle school? Now, at the time, John Wooden was about 96 years old. And he thought for a minute and he said, probably not. But I can't remember a day that I didn't. Think about that. That's a pretty remarkable thing. I think so many people, they don't create consistency. They don't create habits. They don't work towards achieving their goals. And, and I always say it's about progress, not about perfection. And if you can figure out ways to just make incremental progress and then revise the goals. You know, I, I sit down once a quarter and say, what are my goals for the next quarter? Because that's sort of a bite-sized piece. And I can say, how can I get better at certain aspects of my life? And then make it manageable. You know, so many people, they say, well, you know, I weigh, I weigh 400 pounds today and I just want to go, I'm, I'm going to run a marathon. Well, probably not a realistic goal, right? Maybe, maybe your goal should be to put on one running shoe each day because the likelihood of if you put on one running shoe, you probably put on the second. And if you put on the second, you probably step out the front door. And if you step out the front door, maybe you go for a walk, maybe you go for a run. Now, maybe initially that walk is around the block. Maybe eventually that walk becomes a two-mile walk and then it becomes a five-mile walk. And then eventually you get to the point where you can run a little bit of it. And then eventually you get to the point where you're running a 5K, then a 10K, and then you know, ultimately work your way up to the marathon. But so many people, they, they say, I'm going to run that marathon. And then you know, they miss one day and then it's real easy to miss the next day. And then all of a sudden it's been a week and you haven't run a single mile or you haven't even gotten out the door. So breaking it into bite-sized pieces, I think is, uh, is critically important. So I'll stop there. I, I can nerd out on this stuff. I, I love this, you know, goal setting and, and, and all of that. So I'll stop on that. <laughs> I'll add one of the statistics to your nerding out. You're also 800% more likely to achieve your goals if you write them down. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's and, and, and yet so many people know that and they don't do it. Yeah, it's, it's actually heartbreaking if you really think about it. Yeah, well, and I think too, it's it like, okay, Dennis, what are your dreams? What are your goals? Well, that's, that's a big thing, right? I, I don't know, right? I, world peace or, you know, it's so, but, but what I've done, again, I'm a, I'm a financial guy, right? So I live in the world of Excel spreadsheets. So, Again, on the left-hand side, I've, I've got these categories. What do I want to do with my family, with my business, with my uh, fitness, with faith? I mean, all different kinds of things and then set timelines. So what do I want to do in the next quarter? What do I want to do in the next year, five years, 10 years? And then really set goals and figure out strategies to be able to achieve those moving forward. That's awesome. So do you have a favorite quote? Sure. This is one that uh, I don't know who originated it. I always... Uh, attribute it to my high school cross country coach. And he said, hard work given time will beat talent. And I think that's, that's true. Whether we're talking about college, that's true. Whether we're talking about business, just 
you know, hard work pays off in the end. And there are lots of people out there who are probably more talented, who may have be more naturally gifted. But if you're willing to work hard and make the sacrifices that it will take, you can achieve tremendous things in life. And, you know, we're here talking about college today. College is one piece of that. But college is really where a lot of things start for people in, in their lives. I absolutely love that. Brock, do you have any other last potting piece of advice? And then we'll say goodbye. Perfect. Uh, no real last advice. I just say, you know, as I sort of just said a second ago, I think college, I love working in this space because we get to meet really fascinating and talented and hardworking young people. And it's sort of that, you know, you talk about dreams. Well, for so many families, you know, that dream of the ability to have a child go off to college, walk across the stage, shake the president of the university's hand, grab the diploma, look out at mom and dad and say, thank you. Like, that's the stuff that dreams are made of. And, and it's such an opportunity. And we get to live in that space every single day. And, and I love the opportunity to work with these families and help them to achieve that, that goal, that dream. But it takes hard work. And, you know, it's, colleges are expensive. It's not like we've got the silver bullet to just make it super easy. But I think if families are willing and able to work with, with an advisor, whether it's somebody from our team or their own advisor, uh, you know, the goal is the same. And that is figuring out strategies to make your money work harder, smarter, faster, so that when it comes to not only saving for college, but also retirement and all the other goals that you may have in life, being able to do so in as efficient and effective a way as possible. Chen, as we've been hanging out with Brock Jolly, you can check out his website at thecollegefundingcoach.org and start planning for college today. It's going to set you and your children up for success in later life. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.